human beings of the world, it's time to enter the spoilerverse through our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on scpod.net. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Join the cult of the Spoilerverse, and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That's Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, he's an artist that's worked on Green Lantern, Judge Dredd, a bunch of other shit. He's British, which I don't know why I said that, because it really doesn't matter. Because I mean, you'll know as soon as he starts talking. You say that, but it does a little bit because I do think that British creators or, or even creators, the country you're from yeah. kind of helps determine, not determine, but it, it it does play into your creative and like how you do things. I really think that like, because an American artist and a British artist, they're going to attack things differently. So I think it is, I think it is relevant. Well, they do look at things differently. That's for yeah. sure. That's yeah, it for sure. Relevant. it's relevant. But today it's Liam Sharp, yeah. the ever prolific artist. Yeah, and, and Jeff got a chance to sit down with Liam because uh, it was early in the morning and neither one of us wanted to wake up because we were tired and sleepy and uh, probably had too much strength <laughs> the night before. I don't know. But uh, Jeff was a fan and Jeff took it on and uh, yeah, they had a good time. There you guys go. Well, let's sit back and listen to Liam and his own words. This is Spoiler Country, and you're listening to our very talented guest, Liam Sharp. How's it going, Liam? Hey, Jeff. Good to be on. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on Spoiler uh, Country. It's it's definitely our pleasure. You are an amazing artist. Oh, you're too kind. Thank you, man. Oh no, it's definitely our pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. <laughs> well, I know I kept you waiting, so I'm I'm sorry about that. You know how it goes. No, it like I said, it's totally worth it. We totally understand how um, busy artists are, and like I said, it just built up the anticipation for you. And we're I'm very excited to to speak with you. Oh, uh, good stuff. So, where are you based, uh, Jeff? Are you uh, California, are you a New York state or? Um, I'm actually in Rhode Island right now. Oh, okay, cool. You're California, correct? I am California, yeah, East Bay. How's that going for you? Well, it's a little bit gray. It looks like England this morning, but it's been beautiful the last few days. So that's been giving us a little bit of relief, uh, having some sunshine during these peculiar times. How's it on these the times in California? I mean, are, are you are you feeling the the anxiety of what's going on with the uh, COVID, or are you do you feel you know, pretty safe? You're secure. It's not hitting weird, like locally for you yet. It's it. Everyone's being pretty sensible about it to be fair it, it is weird outside but that's the funny thing you know because we we don't move out of our houses very much as freelancers you know i'm i, I i'm used to this sort of self-isolation <laughs> as a as a natural state so i only really notice when i step outside on the <laughs> other hand it's quite nice because we've got all, all the family here so 
my three kids, my uh, my oldest is 23 now, my youngest is 16, and they're all at home. So uh, that's the one thing that uh, they're uh, getting used to working with them milling around in the background. But that's it's actually re- that's the best side of it. That's the good thing of it. Is your family adapting well to the quarantine? Well, I think you know we're fortunate. We all we all get on. So last night we all made like a a playlist of of songs each and just worked through them. Picked eight songs each, and we had a great night. We we made pizza and drank beer and just generally had a chill time and and it was it was a lot of fun. That's the second time we've done it. So we're we're pretty good at, get, at getting along with each other. But when you do go out, everyone's keeping their distance and. Uh, and that's not just me, it's it's the, the general vibe yeah. outside, you know. Yeah, I mean, like I said, when, when I've gone outside, I mean, it, it, it hit Rhode Island more within the last few weeks. Before that, it kind of felt, you know, it was in Boston, it was New York, Seattle, but we didn't really feel it here. But it's now getting closer where we now have 30 cases in the county in which I live. So right. it's, it's now, you know, it's home now. I must say, walking outside, especially during even during rush hour, it's starting to feel like it has that that, that that apocalyptic feel where, like, you see a car or someone walking down the street, you're like, "Holy crap, there's a person!" You know, yeah. <laughs> there's another human being out there. <laughs> it's um, it, it's almost the other way around in a way. There seems to be because everyone's at home, people are getting out for walks here. So yeah. there's a lot of people skirting around each other and dodging each other, and it's <laughs> uh, you know. We're almost using the roads as as walking lanes at the moment, so it's quite it's quite interesting. Lots of dog walking. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> well, no, it's it's, a, it's a definitely interesting times, but let's hope it, it gets better sooner rather than later. You know, but well, I, I don't know how that's going to go. Oh well, yeah, I mean, I, I my assumption is is what from what I'm hearing is you know this is going for a few more months, and if there is any bright side to this, and there, it may not be one, much of one. But yeah. it does seem like it gives us the opportunity to spend time with the family that we have and yes. kind of uh, renew the bonds that may have loosened. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we're just making the most of ha- of being together, really. So, as you say, silver linings. Well, you got to find them where you can, right? Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about how you got involved with uh, Green Lantern. Green Lantern. Oh, it it's like it was such a gift, really. The thing with Grant was... I'd known him for years, but not sort of on any deep level. We just all from the same industry and he's from Scotland. I'm from England. So we would occasionally bump into each other over the years. <coughs> and I had actually been doing a, I did a podcast when I was doing Wonder Woman. Um, and I ended up talking about my novella. It's a book called Paradise Rex Press. Okay. It's a really sort of weird meta quite an experimental book and very, very personal. And I ended up talking about this and the guys that are on the podcast were like, Oh, has Grant Morrison read that? He'd love that. And I was like, well, I only know Grant sort of peripherally. I, I he's more a colleague, but I, I don't know him that well. And, and I have to be honest, I get, I tend to get a little bit tongue tied around him because he's kind <laughs> of a legend, you know, yeah, even, yeah. He, even when you've been in the industry a long time, you still revere people. And uh, they said, "Oh no, he's lovely. You should you should talk to him." And very strangely, about three days later, it was San Diego Comic Con, and I was there as the first night, and I was at the higher, and it was literally the end of the night, and out of the dark loomed Grant, and he just <laughs> went, "Yeah," and gave me this great big hug, and I was like, "Whoa, that's weird." And and we had like this really lovely five minute chat, 
And then I d- didn't see him for a couple of, well, no, that was, I kept seeing him after that. So I saw him at the Wonder Woman premiere. We did, we just kind of shut the bar down and just chatted away for ages and ages. And I, and I kept banging into him after that, you know, it was really funny. And then we started talking about, oh, let's do a, a create our own project together. And we kind of initially said, well, you should do something like maybe 40 pages. That's really, really dense that I can spend hours on the art. Yeah. Um, Cause I'd been doing the, the brave and the bold and that was getting more and more kind of dense and, and uh, symbolic and detailed. And, and, and there was, it, it's great doing that. But when you, when you're in a, a, a long running series, keeping up the, momentum on on that kind of detailed work is is pretty wearing after a while yeah we were talking about what can we do that you know that would allow me to really go to town anyway we kept talking like this and then i finished the brave and the bold i was looking what i was going to do next dan was like well we want you to do hawkman i was like that's cool yeah scott snyder was like well i want you to do jla and i was like oh that's cool (laughs) and then Dan came, literally phoned. I was pondering which of those two I would do because I could see that either of them would be good. And then out of the blue, Dan called and said, OK, title change of plan. How do you feel about this? Green Lantern with Grant Morrison. I was like, what? It's a no-brainer, <laughs> of course. I've been talking to, to, to Grant all along anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and it seemed like rather than do something small, the opportunity to do something you know, really epic and ongoing for a while, at least with Grant was just a no brainer. There's no way I was going to say no to that. Um, and, and so, and, and the thing there was like, okay, yes, I'm in as long as I can. And it's not about being controlling or, or like yeah. denying other people, work or anything <laughs> like but it's like, I, I said, I want to be the only artist on it Yeah, because you spend so long building these universes and building these worlds. And if there's suddenly a fill in for me, at least it really throws you out of the the series or it can. Do. Yeah. And Grant had said he probably wouldn't do it if I wasn't going to draw it. So we were quite sort of like, let's go in as a team and let's make sure that we can do all the issues together and really nail a, a, a singular vision of, of what this character is going to look like while we're, while we're doing the book so we managed to to swing that somehow we we got the dates knocked back a little bit for the launch and i just worked like a you know a maniac to 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 stay on top of it all and to deliver on time and to be conscientious about the the the, the book really and so that's that's how it happened and it's been an absolute joy uh, it's really cool when you um to hear someone who's as well known as you are and you know, definitely uh, a, a name in, in your own right in the industry, still feeling tongue-tied when talking to another artist. You know, you, you kind of assume that once you get to your echelon of uh, notoriety, that all of you guys, you know, are just feel like you're at the same level of everybody else. Oh, no. I, you know, the, that's the thing with comic people. We're all still fanboys and fangirls at heart, you know? Yeah. And a lot of us were those shy sort of solitary kids as well so we we had that as part of our nature i think and and it's interesting too because we're all still one of the interest one of the things that happens in this business is you do seem to especially at conventions run into actors and celebrities and directors and people that are in other media that are also 
you know, well-known people. And we're all just as, uh, as uh, kind of <laughs> nervous <laughs> around those people and as excited as anybody else. You don't get too cool for your own boots, you know. It's like, uh, it's still good to appreciate excellence in whatever um, industry it's in, you know. So you could say the same about many, many different uh, walks of life. So is the combo community in many ways like smaller than it you would think? Like, is it like a really small, tight community or is there, you know, because I mean, on one hand, the industry seems quite large, but it yeah. does seem like there's so much interaction between the companies and the talent that it must. Is it a smaller feel like a small community? It used to feel a lot smaller. These days, it, it's it's pretty huge. Back in the 80s, when I first started, you know, especially in England, because this was before any of us really started moving out to the US or coming to conventions over here. The, the world's got a lot smaller since the 80s. Um, yeah. Back in those days, there was sort of regular gets to get together. So there was really not that many conventions. There was one, a big one in London called UCAC, the UK Comic Art Convention. Okay. Um, and you'd go to that and there'd be, you know, Alan Moore and uh, Dave Gibbons and all, all the kind of legends of, of Brian Bolland, the generation above us. And really a lot, we all pretty much worked for 2000 AD. So we got to know each other and there was a, definitely a community. And then there was a, there used to be a, a, a pub called the Valiant Trooper in London and they'd have a monthly drink there. So that was a kind of open door to industry people so you did get to know everybody who who was able to turn up to those things so so, so you, you um knew alan moore what, what was he like well, i i met him <laughs> i met him at that convention and that's the only time i ever spent any time with him just drinking guinness and chatting. <laughs> and he was very he had this suit on that was slightly too short <laughs> in the arms and legs because he's a tall guy yeah and of even then, he, of course, he was already a legend. And uh, no, he, he was he was very charming. Easy company. Again, I was probably slightly in awe and tongue-tied. So, you know, <laughs> I probably left it to other people to to talk and just sort of sat there grinning. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, that all comes around. I'm sure there's many artists now who are that way around you when you go when you are at these conventions who are afraid to talk to you, afraid to, you know, say hello. Well, you never sort of bear that in mind when you go to them. And I always try to be as welcoming uh, as I can be. So uh, I, I definitely try to be a, a approachable. Well, last year, I know you were at Trificon, and I actually was at Trificon. I tried finding you for an autograph, and I could not find you. Oh, <laughs> no. Your table, the numbers were wrong. I was like, where's Liam Sharp? Is the... <laughs> and I couldn't find you. I actually asked for help, and I couldn't, and I, I wasn't able to pull it off, unfortunately. Oh, I was on the Hero Initiative stand, I think. Is that right? Oh. Where I was at Trificon? Oh, no, hang on a second. We were... I re yeah, I'm remembering now. I was down um, with... There was a bunch of us with Albert Moy, and he's, he's my art dealer. So we were right at the far end. It was a good, fun con, that one. Had a great time. Yeah, I must say, Trificon, I had, I had a lot of good time. I got um, most of the autographs that I was looking yeah. for, like I said, except for yours, unfortunately. Yeah, we were right by Michael Cho. I think that was I think I think it was different than what it said on the the book that, that showed you where the tables were. It happened sometimes. It was the Portland one that I was on the Heroes Initiative stand, and people couldn't find me there either. So I'm obviously elusive, <laughs> <laughs> welcoming but elusive. <laughs> well, like I said, if you ever come back to Trificon, I'm gonna go. I've got definitely got to hunt you down. So you're talking about the size of the 
industry is are you, is because of the '90s like independent comic boom from like the '90s and 2000s that you that it enlarged it so much. I think so. Well, I think the world is generally just a smaller place. I think the internet has, has done a lot for that. So it's meant that location isn't so important, particularly for work. So people can be anywhere in the world and still be working for, you know, a major com- one of the major companies, if that's the direction they choose, you know. It, it, of course, if you want to go independently, it really doesn't matter where you are. And there's an uh, increasing number of independent uh, creators out there. Do you, do you find it better that it's the industry is enlarged like that? Or do you feel that there's something missing with the size have expanded so much? Do you know, it is what it is. Nothing ever is perfect and everything always evolves. So I, I, I don't tend to look at it in those terms. You know, things become what they are for the reasons of of, of, of everything around them, the way things are distributed, the, the way where the shops are, the, the, the fan base, a million and one things. It's easy to point fingers and blame stuff when things don't turn out quite how you would like them personally to be but yeah. it never stays one way it never has stayed one way it's always been in flux it's always been in change and it seems like my whole career it's been on the brink of dying out except for maybe the early 90s when it went completely bonkers for a while you know and uh, and had enormous sales um but I, I think it's actually in a really healthy place and just in terms of the amount of people doing it we can talk about some people are saying, well, there's too much stuff out there. Let's, they should halve the titles. They should do this. But then what are all those people going to do? You know, the yeah. people who are passionate about it. Yeah. I remember I do my own comic book. I mean, obviously I'm nowhere near at the level of where, where you are, but I do uh, my own like indie comic and oh, cool. I would call stores individually. I had a combo called the nightmare patrol or have still have a combo called the nightmare patrol. And oh, I would, actually. Oh, thank you. And I would call uh, stores individually and be like, you know, to sell my comic books to them because I didn't have the the money to do diamonds, like 3,000 limit or whatever it was. And, right. and I call, I still remember what one store told me. And I, when I called him and said, you know, do you want to buy my comic book for your store? And he, and he said, I've had enough with indie people. You guys, there's too many of you guys. You guys need to stop. And I told him, you first. You know, you know, which right. ones of us do you want us to quit? Just let me know, you know. Yeah. And I thought that was a kind of almost a ridiculous statement of like, which artists do you not want to pursue their dreams like which one should just be like all right i'll back out for everybody else you know i I can't imagine anyone doing that well exactly and that that's where people don't sort of think about it and it's the same for like you know when you see people online occasionally calling for someone to be fired and to be kicked out of their job and it's like hang on what do you expect that person to do for a start they they're they're doing what they've been asked to do yeah, uh, and they are fans, and they love the industry, and they love the comic that they're working on. And none of us just do it out of spite. You don't get into this industry because you're, you know, you don't like it, and that you just want to make everyone mad and draw a comic that everyone hates. <laughs> nobody, nobody does that. You know? Right, right. And and so when people are called for somebody to to lose their job and be fired or whatever, it's sort of not taking into consideration that that is their job. They don't do anything else. And they have kids and family and they have mortgages to pay, rent to pay and roof to keep over their heads. It's, it's like it's essentially saying you, you get out of the business for good. If, you, if, you, if you're asking for someone to be kicked off a book or something like that, it's it's very, I don't know, it's kind of a knee jerk and, and, and very 
inhumane, <laughs> not yeah. very nice thing to, to wish on anybody. Whether you look, I, I mean, I don't know what it, I talked to a lot of creators about this and we're, we're all a bit, I don't know whether it's, well, I don't think it's just creators. I think most people, most normal people are like, hang on a second. It, 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 I got into this because I, I love it. And, and when I was in, in the seventies, when I read comics, if, if a comic changed direction, and they changed the artist, and they changed the writer, and I wasn't feeling it so much anymore. Yeah. I'd just buy another title. I never just was a Marvel guy or a, or a DC guy. Uh, I liked good stuff, and I didn't really care which character it was. So I hopped around, and I I, I, I read lots of bits of runs when I really liked the team at any given time. And it never, ever occurred to me to get crazy, like mad, if suddenly that team left and I didn't like the next team, it didn't, you know, it didn't send me on a, on a massive letter writing campaign to try and get the, the new team fired and get the old team back or anything. Yeah. So, I mean, Oh, go, go ahead. Sorry, sir. No, no, no. I'm just saying it, it, that people, the, the, the mentality of that is a little bit alien to me. You know, that's all yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I find it interesting and kind of a dual-edged sword, the idea of ownership. I, right. I think it's great that fans do feel an ownership to the character, which is where the loyalty comes from. But I do think, on some level, they abuse this, the idea of what that ownership is. You have the right to feel the characters are important to you, to feel that you're invested in the characters, to feel that you're that you are invested in the success of the character, but right. you don't have the right to feel ownership over somebody else over, well, over that character it's I don't, it, it never occurred to me f to feel ownership over anything really you yeah know, i don't feel like i own led zeppelin because i love them and they've let me down god damn them for splitting <laughs> up, you know right? yeah I, I i don't feel like i own the any netflix shows that i watch i just you know enjoy them until i don't yeah, you know, and then it's like ah, oh, this isn't going where I wanted to. It's Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, it's Game like, of Thrones. <laughs> you, know, you can say whatever. You, <laughs> we got ten years of amazing entertainment. It's like yeah, it trailed off, and still beautiful stuff to look at at the end. And uh, the characters were, you know, whatever. There's a million yeah. things you could say, but um, generally. You, you, the seasons I loved were amazing, right? And I sort of think of like Star Star Lord. When I first came across Star Lord, it was done by John Byrne and and, and, and Claremont, and it was an amazing uh, story they did. Self-contained, just fantastic. Totally different costume, totally different ship, totally yeah. different vibe. He definitely wasn't like a comical character. Did that mean that I hated Guardians of the Galaxy? No, it's a completely different character, but I loved it. Yeah, you know? and, I, and I I really enjoyed the fact that Star Lord was in it. The fact that he was nothing like the character that I grew up with and I loved just didn't matter to me. Yeah, um, I, I'm gonna say that a couple of days ago I interviewed with Kenrick Regan, Robert Wool, and he has a TV show. He had a TV show a couple of episodes called Assume the Position, and one quote from the show was, "Everyone loves the country in a different way." And I think the same goes for comic books. Everyone loves a character or a comic book in a different way, and each of way course. is valid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all, each generation has their take on it, and each generation falls in love with their take on it. Um, and I am I, always confused when people think they have identified the singular vision of what any character should, uh, should be. 
Yeah. Um, and, and act as though they're speaking for all of us when patently they're not, you know. So it, it's um, that, that just is confusing to me. But again, what you have to take away is that it's real passion talking. And, and the positive is that they love those characters to that extent. You know, they take it seriously and, and they take what we do seriously. And that fuels that, you know. Do you think social media has allowed fans to get spoiled as far as uh, from perspective of control of, of these characters? Uh, there's a lot of language that I just don't understand, and there's a lot of behavior that I don't understand. And there are times like that when I feel sort of very old. <laughs> just, <laughs> like, just from another world altogether. To me, social media are open spaces. You know, They're parks and they're halls and they're places where people gather. They're, they're pubs and tap houses and they are a social environment and um with that i i tend to think of that there should be a certain amount of decorum you know of yeah. course you can have a debate and you can sit in a pub and have a, a a good old debate but as soon as it fists start flying around there's somebody comes in and kicks you out and demands <laughs> that you don't behave like that in there or yeah. you from the place you know and that's just that's just uh i don't i think i think there's an element of like when we said don't feed the trolls in a way we kind of let them just exist and they they went away and they found other trolls and they they formed tribes of trolls <laughs> and now you know there's there's it becomes a, a voice at that point and instead of just like lone what keyboard warriors and and i think as well those kind of responses when people just saying I ignore the keyboard warriors, don't talk to them. That doesn't help either because that's just as dismissive too. You know, it's yeah. much, it's, there's sometimes these people are like, I'm sure that if you just say keyboard warrior, ignore them, it just infuriates some people. I think sometimes the grievances are real. And I've found that actually if you talk to people, even if their view is, is really different to yours, you know, it might be strongly different. You can be very reasonable back and, and getting in a conversation, and often as not, it will sort of calm down, and you, you can agree to see both sides. I mean, of course, there are points where we see that that's never going to happen, and people just cast themselves in stone and yeah. decide they're never going to change, which again is alien to me. That's not a life; that's a pickle to me. You know, it's just yeah. I I, I never got that. Just never, never be prepared to change. For me, life's like all about change and all about compromise and all about growing and allowing new thoughts and new ideas to sort of permeate because that's how you become enriched you know that's how you learn and that's how you live a a, 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 a full life i think um, so that's have, my view anyway have you ever been on the receiving side of that that toxic uh, toxicity yeah really more so i think so, I mean, when I was doing Wonder Woman, it was a fascinating time, of course, because Me Too was just kicking off in a big way, which was really important. There hadn't yeah. been a, a character of her stature who'd, uh, at, at that particular time, it was really a big deal. Uh, and, and and so I was right in the middle of that sort of firestorm. And it, it does get confusing. I did have one uh, message saying, you know, from from a a woman in Australia saying, dude, stop drawing women. And it's like, hey, whoa, <laughs> what does that even mean? You know? <laughs> and, I, and I did sort of end up talking, to, 
I, I ended up writing a, a long, long reply to her saying, you, you're not thinking this through what you're asking for. For a start, I'm on your side. You know, if there's a reason I'm drawing the book. And if you read it, you know, you'll see that I am being very respectful to the character. Secondly, the book is not just for women and not just for the LGBTQ community, you know. Yeah. It's for, it's for all people. It is for those people. It is, but it's also for, for, for men and women and, you know, people of every single denomination and every single sexual orientation. And this is a book that, yes, she's an, an icon for those people, but she's also a book for Right for, for 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 people like me who yeah. don't fit into those uh, criteria, but are fully supportive of, of 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 everything, you know. Yeah. So it was, it, and and I'd said, you know, are you seriously saying that I should say no women should draw a male character? Right, right. Or you know, and and you can you can obviously spin out from that as much as you like in in a load of different directions. The the. It, I was so proud to be on that book, and I, if if there's a single book that that I know changes life lives, it's Wonder Woman because she does represent. Sometimes she represents uh, something that a lot of people don't have in their own families, you know. So they, if let's say they they might be in a community that that isn't particularly tolerant of, of uh, you know of different. Uh, sexual preferences and, um, so did the uh, fan at least uh, come to terms with your side or th- did it never become a conciliation I think she just went away she, she was an angry person um, yeah that, that, I mean, mostly people were really decent um, but so, it, it, it is weird when it happens and it blows up because you, you, you're just doing your best and you're like I get it I get that I'm I, you know, it would have been. Well, we had we had Nicola Scott in the book too, so she was fulfilling that side of it as well. You know, and she's just great. We were such good mates and became really good sort of pals while we were working on that book together. Oh, she's so talented. Yeah, she's amazing, and she's just a lovely person too. I, well, like I said, I've, I've actually, um, unfortunately, I've never had an opportunity to interview her. So, but I, I bet she seems nice on uh, social media anyway. <laughs> yeah, she speaks her mind. She's a brassy Aussie lass, and she just, uh, she's not afraid to say what she thinks. She doesn't care what anyone thinks. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you ever had blowback on the current Green Lantern series, or have that been has that been saved from that kind of uh, toxicity as well? Oh, occasionally, you know, I'll I'll see it. It, it it's a curious thing to like i saw one person saying i could draw the book better than that he draws like a 12 year old and i'm like really really well when are they getting the big paychecks then <laughs> from dc <laughs> okay. okay so well that, that's just stupid when someone says something like that well you, yeah you kind of like just uh, at that point you you could only throw your hands in the air and just kind of <laughs> It's impossible. It's impossible. So going back a little bit to, to Green Lantern, what was Grant Morrison's sales pitch to you on the title? Well, he didn't really have to pitch <laughs> to me. <laughs> uh, the funny thing was as well, because I'd said to him, look, I, um, what do you think about doing something uh, at DC? Because I was under contract as well, you see. And he said, oh, no, I'm done with uh, with superheroes and mainstream books. You know, I've got... 
a few years left, you know, because he's just turned sixty and he's like, oh wow, seeing the the you know, we, we I, I I'm in my early fifties and it's the same thing. It's like suddenly the the end of the road is more apparent to you. You realise that you because the years fly past when you're especially when your head's down and you're churning out the comics. It's yeah. astonishing how fast they fly by. So you start to realize that you've got a limited amount of time to do a certain number of projects. And he was like, no, I want to concentrate on um, create your own stuff and things that are personal to me, things that matter to me. So I'm not going to do any more mainstream stuff. And he ha had a dinner with Dan uh, video. And, yeah. And Dan would say, look, uh, why don't you do Green Lantern? And uh, Grant said what he just said to me to dan he said no no i'm not doing that but if you were going to do it you should do it like this and then he proceeded to talk himself into it <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was lucky for everybody that he was able to that he was able to do that yeah yeah no he's great he's great and you know it, i mean it was basically the because because we talked about it together right at the beginning it was like yeah it's going to be a cop we want it to be have some of the European sensibilities that both of us love, so the sort of metal Erlon, heavy metal uh, sensibilities, some of the old 2000 AD UK sensibilities, but also, you know, it being the Green Lantern, it was going to have those elements of, of, of US superheroics as well. He said, actually, it's almost as if those, those three, <laughs> said it's like European comics, English comics, and American comics got together and had a threesome, and we're drawing the bastard <laughs> child of that, that weird union. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing with Hal Jordan, I mean, obviously Green Lantern started with Alan Scott in the 40s, but Hal Jordan's been around now since the 60s. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, he's gone through some changes over time, obviously, from what he was in the 60s, was way, very, like, milk toast, very... Um, they didn't um, give him a whole lot of personality, but then obviously that shifted with um, O'Neill and Adams. Why do you think Jordan has survived all those changes and has managed to still be popular? You know, what is that, 60 years from now? 60 years now? Yeah. Honestly, it's, I think it's true of any of those iconic characters that have been around for a good chunk of time. You know, and I know I'm sort of, it's not that I'm avoiding the question, but it's odd that, like, whenever someone asks what character is your favorite character, I genuinely have always found that the character I love the most is the one that I'm working on at any given time. And okay. that's because there's, there's something amazing about any of these characters that have existed for a long time. So even if you're not, if you haven't done a particularly deep dive or haven't really been a fan of it yourself, just because there's so many different titles out there, uh, you can't have read everything. You can't have become a huge uber fan of, of, of every single character, right? Yeah. You can come to a character. Like, I wasn't a massive fan of Wonder Woman before I started drawing her. But when I did, I totally fell in love with her. I got what she was about. I understood the fundamentals of, of what this character represented and what she could represent. And then, of course, while you're in the process of doing that, you, you learn more and more about the character, you read more about the character, and you, you, you get to know it. The same with Green Lantern, that the, the character is so rich. It's like you say, he goes back so far. And you've got a universe to play in with this guy. It, it, there's so many different worlds and so many, such a, a, a rich sort of set list of, 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 of the characters.
characters and you know the the sort of Green Lantern family in a way is is a big by which I mean in his friends and his relationships he's had over over decades now um, make it make him a really rich character but it, it's just endless it's an endless playground now now what research did you do to prep for the series or I mean or I mean or were you already a fan of Green Lantern before. Oh, well, I, so my Green Lantern was the Neil Adams Green Lantern when I was a little boy. You know, when I was a kid growing up, it was very much that stuff that I saw. And, uh, and of course, it was striking, beautiful art. Uh, Neil Adams really spoke to me when I was younger. And then later on, it was the, the, the Gil Kane stuff, of course, I saw when he really, really reinvented himself and nailed that style that was used, used to see a lot in the 70s. And then the Dave Gibbons as well. His run was was one that I would dip into. So I had I had this I had a knowledge of the character and and was fond of him. I didn't really read him during the nineties because I was by that time I was sort of fully immersed in sort of Marvel and you know that was that was taking up a lot of my energy and time. So there's a lot I missed in the nineties from uh, DC. Yeah. Um, I'm I'll give you the '90s. Well, at least I obviously Emerald Twilight. When I guess, right. you, and but I must admit, my favorite Green Lantern was Kyle Rayner from the '90s. So you, you didn't right. miss him, right? <laughs> yeah, because a lot, lots of people say, "Oh yeah, Kyle Rayner is is the best Lantern." Of course, you know, and I can't speak to that because I I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it's fine that people love Kyle Rayner. It's great that they do. Of course, it's, it speaks to what we were talking about earlier on. It's that he was the for some people, he was the Green Lantern that they came across and the Green Lantern that they kind of connected with. For me as well, for us on this series, Grant's view was like, let's go right back to the roots. And so if we're going to draw these alien races, you know, let's look at the original versions and then extrapolate from that rather than look at the ones that in the 90s where everybody became like a giant muscle-bound kind of testosterone-fueled beast. Yeah, know? yeah let's not build off the back of them. Let's go right back to the really weird sort of goggle-eyed you know, yeah. versions that you used to see <laughs> in the John Broom era, those really curious designs where they'd be wearing like almost like shorts and little scouts outfits and weird little hats and things. It was just uh, quite comical, really. So it's like because of the oddness of that, we there was a lot to play with, and, and um, it sort of seemed... It, it made it made it fun um, extrapolating from them. It gave gave it a sort of fresh direction that was really not um, visually quite different to how it had been for for a while, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm sure a lot of people have assumption of what it would be like to work with Grant Morrison. I mean, I, the idea that once you get to being that level of celebrity or legend in the industry, you assume some sort of ego. What does he like to work? Is he what, to, to work with him? Does he give a lot of freedom for you to do what you want? Is he uh, more like this is what I want you to do. Oh, he's fantastic. He's he's great. He's been. I've barely changed a thing in in the entire run. You know, this I, I think I've had about in. What am I on now? I'm on my seventeenth issue. So I did the first oh, wow. twelve. Yeah, I'm I'm coming to the end of my seventeenth issue of Green Lantern right now, and in that time in that run and three of them were 30 pages oh wow um, 
I think he's asked he's asked for maybe three tiny changes that I where I just missed something or I'd I'd accidentally got the wrong version because he knows he his his brain is encyclopedic and he really really knows his stuff. Um, uh, so so it's when you've got a vast cast of characters and all the alternate versions as well. Um, yeah, it, it's it it can be tricky to navigate because there's just so much research but thankfully you know th- thankfully we have this thing called google now <laughs> and, uh, which which is very useful and and also just dc have been great in terms of making sure i i'm sent the required reference for any of the any of the books so it's been, it's been a real joy he, he he uh packs in the references i try to be as um because everything he does he does for a reason yeah. So I know he's in the in the past. He said it's frustrating to him because he'll ask for all of these very specific references in the background, and for whatever reasons, whether it's time constraints or just too much for some people to handle, they they might miss a bunch of that those uh, seemingly extraneous details. But what you find is that later on in the story, there will be a reason for it that you might not have picked up immediately. You know. Yeah, I mean, so, so I try to put it all in and then add a bit more. <laughs> well, like, I mean, I'm just <laughs> like, I mean, I'm just looking at like issue one of season two, and about two or three pages in, there's that massive spread, like two page <laughs> spread almost, and there's so many characters. I'm pretty sure I see Valor somewhere in the background, and and just like how I mean, you must be spending so much time with so, that much detail. I mean, it's the details everywhere is so deep. Yeah, God, honestly, after the first season, I thought, okay, season two, I need to pare it back a little bit because I'm going to go blind and mad. Um, <laughs> and then I started on it, and it just got even more crazy and detailed. So I, I don't know what to tell you, really. <laughs> it's like, it, it, it is what it is, and some you read the script, and if it demands it, then you have to go there. But I had a lot of fun with that spread i'd also been looking at like kim young gi's stuff and seeing how he just channels uh his memories and uh, and uh, when he have you seen those amazing spontaneous drawings he does i must admit uh, i have not actually he's just a, an astonishing artist and he, he'll do these demonstrations where he'll just draw a scene straight out of his imagination straight in pen on a on a large um piece of paper and and it's it's profound and but they're so full of life and it's so spontaneous and it's so kind of characterful Uh, and it's intimidating we're all like (laughs) we're all blown away by his work he's (laughs) so incredible but 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 actually it kind of was like i'm going to try that approach of like almost standing back and trying to imagine the scene and trying to put myself in it and just let channeling um channeling my memories really so so there's a scene with the apes the big battle over the city where they've there's a they're carrying guns and they're yeah and i thought okay i'm not gonna these aren't actual chimps and they're not actual orangutans and and, and gorillas they're they're an approximation of them Uh, so i'm just gonna it do it from my imagination. I'm go- I've drawn Gears of War, so I've drawn lots of guns. I'm- so I'm not going to reference guns, not going to reference the city. I'm not going to reference apes. I'm just going to draw it and see 
what I can pull out of my imagination. And I was kind of really pleasantly surprised at how it turned out. And it's the same with that spread, really. I just there's little little details in that, like there's that there's a, a bear in a in a spacesuit. Oh yeah, front, and he's sort of grinning, and just behind him there's this alien that's holding a penny up. He's he's obviously just pulled the penny out of the bear's ear, and the bear's <laughs> absolutely delighted, and he's 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 like never seen that trick before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the idea that we're in this like completely evolved, super civilized space environment, and these sort of very simple little ancient tricks are still delightful to people if they've never come across it before, you know. Uh, and someone's playing rock, paper, scissors in the background, and <laughs> my dad's there actually showing some of his art to a couple of girls in the background. Oh, seriously? Where, where's that? <laughs> He's the bearded, uh, bald bearded Green Lantern at the at the back. That is amazing. It's amazing. So you're trying to point out the details and actually looking even closer. I'm like, holy crap, you can see all that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice the, the hawk, um, the uh, Tengarians in the background too. Yeah, there's t- there's so many, but you try to give each of them like they're all doing something, so they're all interacting and you know, strong woman's looking out over the city, chatting to the the dog with the with the uh, partner who's a, a squirrel on his shoulder and things like that. You know, it, it it becomes fun, and then there's the invisible guys coming through the watch the, the watchdogs yeah. who are being rude and knocking drinks over and and. Just me and Grant sitting at the bar as well, which so I'm now officially in the DC universe. Oh, that's that's oh, that's you and Grant in the corner, huh? Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's good. Welcome to the DC universe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's so amazing. Just like I'm, I'm looking at, and just as you're mentioning more details, stuff I might not even notice, and it really is incredible. And the one, I mean, the couple of things I I I think about when I see something like this. Once again, I'm not an artist. I, I can't draw for the life of me. One is. How do you balance the, the details with and making sure that the primary the primary doesn't get like lost in like this awesome you know amount of characters that you create? I think sometimes you, well you have to you have to be thinking about it in terms of the story. So in order to properly service the story, sometimes there's going to be a crowd scene. Sometimes there's going to be a city shot. And I try to think of it as a director, like it's as much, it's as important to establish the, the feel of that environment to really uh, make you feel like the character's got his feet on the ground, you know? Yeah. Um, so I try, I, I always think of the environment as being as important. And there's, there's, there's a certain amount of like all of those little details I said to you, they're there if you want to look. But they they really just make it seem natural. They make it seem more realistic because they are all behaving in, you know, ways that you. Well, I mean, obviously we're talking about aliens, so perhaps that would be more abstract to humanize. But ways that we as humans understand interaction make places seem real. Uh, and it's the same like with cities. I try to to imagine precincts and buildings with with. Real functions, or like areas that might be parks, or air, buildings that might be hundreds of years old versus brand new ones, to and different architectural styles. All of these things are uh, are important to, to to doing a convincing um, environment. Otherwise, I think they tend to look like uh, convention sets, you know, that have been yeah. sort of fabricated in a in a in a warehouse 
uh, a few months before an event and and thrown up and are all a little bit sort of plastic and wobbly and you know not meant for don't they, well they don't look like they've been lived in for for eons so i try i try to bear that in mind but to, to your point um you have to be sparing about where you use that um, those scenes. So okay, you you plunge the character into those environments, but then you have to zoom the camera in on them so that you know you pick them out within it. I mean, no matter how big a character is, they they are all everyone gets lost in a crowd from time to time. You know. Yeah. So I think one of the coolest characters you created, or uh, you and more and Grant created, is Volk, the uh-huh. living volcano guy. How did uh, that? Yeah, how did that come about? Well, actually, he's been around before. I I saw him in a in a Kev O'Neill story back in the I think it was in the eighties or ni- early nineties. Really? Um, yeah, there was like a Tales of the Core s- series of stories, um, and he he was in he was in one of those stories. But I believe he was in uh, another story even before that. But we were talking about how does he work? You know, is he literally? Is he a magma being? And then we thought, oh, yeah, so he's magma, and then his suit's made of rock. So that's like the mountain. And uh, and the, his vocal cords would be crystal, so when the magma sort of passes through the you know, the, the neck of the volcano <laughs> area. And that's then awesome. Saying, <laughs> the, weird, the fun thing with Volt, though, is like uh, I, I'd drawn him, and uh, it, was, it was amusing me. And, and my, my, my wife came in and looked at the drawing and said, Oh, I love his face. And I was like, what? Oh, his face. And I hadn't realized I'd drawn a face in the cloud. And so that became a thing then. It's like, oh, he's got he's got this funny long little mouth and his little eyes, you know, very sort of rudimentary face. And it just gave him this lovely character that was really weird and different and unique looking, almost like cartoonish expression. And then we would, when when he's in space, you know, because there's no gravity, uh, we we made his head more of a perfect sphere. Yeah, and, uh, but he's still got a face on it. And Grant's like, "Oh, can you imagine the concentration it takes to to keep a face on that on that cloud?" You know, and I love it. I love it. I love how his mind works like that. So yeah, we, we we've had fun with those things. It's very much fun that you can have creating these characters. Like, you, it, it's nice to know that someone who's been in the industry as long as you have doesn't ever get bored by it. You know what I'm saying? I think. The, the second you get bored by it is the second you should really consider looking at a different career because okay. it's extraordinarily laborious and, and time consuming and you know and it is an antisocial job you, you are just alone with your drawing board for huge chunks of your life really so you have to find the pleasure in it and i think if you become jaded then it's like you can probably tell in the art when people are just really not enjoying it and are hacking it out and don't care. I, I find I find every issue, especially working with Grant, because every issue takes off in a different direction. It has a different vibe. You're on a different planet. There's a different sensibility going on. And, and even more so in season two, as you'll see, as, as the books roll out, they're, they're almost a bit more experimental. And each book has got even more of a, a unique vibe. And that will play into the story as it's going along but it, it it's uh like we're doing a pop art one at the moment which is totally different to anything that came before and then there's the one uh, issue gosh three i think is is one that i pretty much sort of painted digitally so it's got a much more soft almost uh, heavy metal type uh, feel to it so it really really has got a lot of 
different um, sides to it. Uh, keeps now, it fun. Now, one of the interesting things about the Green Lantern series is that it's divided into seasons. Like most series just go, you know, one, two, you know, 25, 30, whatever. But Green Lantern, yeah. it's divided into seasons. Now, you were saying earlier that the agreement that you had was that you would take the title as long as you could do every issue. But you don't do the miniseries that go between them. At least not the first one. I don't know about the second one, but at least in the Black Star one. Is that, was that for the benefit of time for you to help catch up on the next season? I mean, what, yeah. what, how was that set up? That's literally what it was. The, the, the thinking of, well, <clears throat> the, the idea of seasons was Grant's right from the start because he wanted to do, he, he's, been, he's been in the writer's room for Happy and he's doing a lot more TV work. So he, he was becoming really interested in those structures and having things work as seasons. And, and the whole idea of, of uh, the book being, like a TV series and, and it being a cop series, uh, he, that was that was what he was thinking. So Green Lantern becomes like a cop in a cop TV series. Uh, yeah. and, and then he was thinking, okay, so we'll have a break in the middle and it'll be like, you know, Doctor Who Christmas special or something. <laughs> you know? that's, that's, that's what the break. And it allows us to, to be really consistent with our Green Lantern book but and give me some time to to catch up between the two seasons. So this is going to be consistent like the next after season 2 there'll be another mini series after season 3 and stuff like that. Uh we're finishing after season 2 though. we're just doing the two seasons because it's uh it's a oh, lot. Wow. Yeah. Oh you guys are stopping after after season 2, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I didn't yeah. actually know. I thought this was going to be a continuing thing. No, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it will, it will, it will have been it will have been a, a pretty epic run from the pair of us by the time we've done twenty four. It's like it's over five hundred pages of, of of art. It's it's a big old beast of a, a, a story. Yeah, I mean, like I said, well, it's going to be a, a famous run, especially in the annals of uh, the Green Lantern legacy. I mean, like I said, I mean, six years old, but still, I think this will um, be well remembered. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, of course, you, you want it to have legs, you know. That's the other thing. You, I think as you get older, you, you, you appreciate more that the, the if you are lucky enough to get on a run of one of these icons, you're breathing rarefied air and you're, you're very, very lucky indeed. You know, you, it's um, you're a custodian and you have to respect the character uh, and you're part of a, an unbroken run of, of decades. So, we we both came to it knowing that, and and it's interesting too because I I, don't, I think Grant himself said that, that Hal was not his favorite Green Lantern and not typically the kind of character that he would write. Um, it, so what we found in him is is, is interesting. You know. Who who did he say was his favorite? I think it's, I think it was Kyle, but I could be wrong. Oh, well, points more for Kyle. <laughs> yeah. are, are there any Green Lanterns that you wish you could draw that you haven't yet? Well, they've sort of, a lot of them have popped up, and I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't all pop up before the end, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 it, it, it was fun drawing Kilowog in the, um, in the first issue of season two at the end there. Uh, he was always such a, an iconic-looking character. Um but uh, honestly, I mean, for me, Hal was my Green Lantern, so I, I don't have that. I, I, I didn't have that, you know, 
he's not my favorite thing. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was my, he was, he was the green lantern to me. Yeah. Um, and, and, and whether, whether or not he's our favorite green lantern, Hal is still, you know, when you, if you talk of the green lantern, Hal's the one you think of. Yeah. Uh, and then it, it was established way back in the John Broom era that Hal was the green lantern. That was the, you know, quote unquote, the greatest Green Lantern of all. So then it was like, okay, why is that? And that's really interesting. Whether whether you personally agree with that or not is is yeah. irrelevant. Within the mythology of the Green Lanterns, that's what you're working with. So then that becomes like a, a fun aspect of the character. It's like, okay, why is he considered that? What is what what is the legend about? What why did he of all of them become? so great and so important and so central to the to the whole conceit you know so uh, and that, that's a good question to ask all right well then i'm gonna ask you what's your answer to that question why do you think he became he's the greatest i think he's just like a almost like an idiot savant he's he's a genius <laughs> you know he, he, he doesn't always know why he's brilliant at what he does but he is so yeah it's like it, it's like he it's that classic thing we we joked early on like that you could have a a, a green lantern from a hyper advanced civilization who's far far more intelligent and capable than Hal in many ways, but they could be struggling over a situation trying to figure out how to deal with it, and Hal would turn up and in an in a instant in a a tiny split second. He would conjure up a giant fist, hit it, and it would fix everything. And yeah. they, they could try and do the same thing, and it just wouldn't work. And <laughs> yeah. it's not about it being a giant fist. It's just he knows how to act in the moment, and it's that. That's what makes him unique. We t we talk about like astronauts and, and the you know the 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 Apollo lunar landings and all of those people. When you get to that level of reflexes, split de split second decision making. Oh, the, the right um, stuff, quote yeah, unquote. It's, it's all of that. It's it's that it's that level, and he's he's as a test pilot. You know, he's got those reactions, and he's got those that mentality. He thrives on it. He, he, he he's also. I mean, he's a, he's a pretty unreconstructed sort of seventies iconic character in lots of ways that we we don't get so much these days. And that's interesting trying to make that work and what's you know wh who is this guy because he's he's not terribly reliable he's brilliant as a policeman but he's not brilliant as a person yeah uh, he would be great fun to have a drink with but he'd probably <laughs> leave without saying goodbye you know? <laughs> yeah. and you wouldn't know when you were going to see him again and you'd always love seeing him but you'd always be slightly frustrated because he just bugger off and you never see him and be like where did he go oh it's just how <laughs> probably won't see him now for like five years yeah <laughs> now with everything that's going on and obviously comic books have stopped being distributed you're still producing the green lantern pages correct yeah i mean i'm not sure what's going on there i know dc's doing its best to try and help retailers and to keep everything ticking along i i mean I, it's these are troubling times, and, and nobody has a, a solution because we're kind of making it up as it as it goes along. There's so many people losing work and, and out of work, and um, it it's it's unprecedented. So I don't think 
know, we, we can all sit around and come up with our own solutions, but there are many minds on this and many people thinking about it and there's going to be mistakes made and there's going to be um, things done right and things done wrong, but we, 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 we won't know. We won't know until afterwards, I guess. We're just going to hope that yeah. we get through it. Now, I know you've been talking for about an hour. Do you mind going back in time a little bit and talking about some other other things, if you don't mind? Sure, sure. Cool, cool. One thing I wanted to ask you about, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm probably going to get the pronunciation totally wrong, and I'm going to apologize ahead of time. Um, sure. Mom Tour Publishing, what is it? And you did win an award for it, so tell me about that as well. Mom Tour Publishing was born of uh, basically a tricky time when the – we came out of the end of the nineties. I'd been doing, I'd been doing Marvel and then I was doing Spawn the Dark Ages. And I did a Superman um, graphic novel with Dematis at that time, Mark Dematis, um, Superman, where is thy sting? And, and I, so things were going really well. And then suddenly work just dried up. It just, the, the, the print industry collapsed. Yeah. Uh, there just wasn't enough books to go around. And I couldn't get my foot in the door at the right time. You know, there just wasn't another title available for a long time. And it was really rough for us. We had, I had a year where I basically didn't get any work at all. I put in so many pitches. I think I put in enough pitches. We worked out that if they had all been picked up, I'd have had about 35 years of work. It's ridiculous. And, and yeah, I just couldn't, I just couldn't land anything. So it was a rough year. We, we, Ended up losing our house and having to move to a cheaper area. Oh, wow. Which actually ended up being a great thing. I moved back to my old hometown where the houses were cheaper and we could afford to live. Uh, and then we sort of looked around at everything. And I, I, you, you also end up, you can get quite paranoid in those times because when the work stops, there's, there's two things happen. You start to think it's you. Yeah. <laughs> People don't <laughs> like your work. Uh, right, right. So you, you, so you get paranoid and with paranoia, you can get a little bit desperate and with desperation, there's nothing that's going to send people running than a faint whiff of desperation, you know, yeah. it, it, it <laughs> makes people. Yeah. And then, and then another thing, people start to, you, they, rumors can be generated. People can be thinking that like, there must be something wrong if you're not getting the work. And, and so it's like, okay, how do you combat all of those things Yeah, in a positive way? And we talked about it, and I talked with my wife, and we basically said, you know, this is... I mean, another thing was I tried to get illustration work at that time, and this is how things have changed for the better. At that time, I couldn't get on an illustration agency because they all said, oh, no, you do comics. We're not interested in comic artists. That's bizarre. It's just, yeah, I mean, it's just... It's a it's crazy snobbery that makes no sense. Yeah. Um, but they basically were very, very sort of just just rude about comic artists and uh, there, there's always been a snobbery about comics you know you know that how it's been and yeah. thankfully i think that is it really is changing culturally but it's taken a long time it, and it, it yeah oh, oh sorry i was gonna say it's just interesting it seems like in many ways it's this it's these cinematic movies that have changed that in some way like you would like to think it'd be something like the artistry the the great literature found a comic book but in many ways it's the pop Corn movies like the Marvel Cinematic Universe that seems to have t changed people's minds of comic books. Yeah, it definitely. It's part of it, I think. It's hard to know. I th there's a whole bunch of stuff. I'll come back to it in a sec because I want to answer your question yeah. first about Mantor. 
Um, but that, we'll keep that one on the back burner because that's uh, that's um, there's a lot about that. So, so yeah. So basically, me and my wife said, okay, the best thing we can do then is to create a is to publish something. I I did it. We did a, like an art book to, for me for San Diego. Um, because everyone was doing art books at that time and they were becoming a, a thing this would have been around about 2001 2002 people were doing kinkos you know sketchbooks and things like that and we did yeah. a kind of high-end sketchbook on on glossy paper and i took it to san diego and we had quite a nice experience publishing the the book my wife I was at Marvel UK and we met there and she was in production. Um, so she knew about sourcing paper stocks and sourcing, you know, print printers and dealing with distribution and all of those kinds of things. And I, I knew about, um, obviously the, the comic creation side of things. So after we did that first book, we said, well, why don't we do a proper anthology? Mam Tour is a hill in Derbyshire, which is my county that I'm from. Okay, yeah, so a tour is a, is a mountain, and uh, and Mam is the, the it actually literally means moving mountain. Oh, so cool. The, the idea is like we're going to try and move a mountain by creating this publisher. Nice. Uh, so Mantle Publishing was born, and we did the anthology called Event Horizon, which was partly about letting well known people. So we had Chris Weston and Brian Holguin and and uh, me and Glenn Fabry, you was had a bit in there, and you know there was some real fantastic people, but there was other people who weren't getting breaks. I'd met I'd met Dave Kendall, is a fantastic artist, but he couldn't. He was working at Yellow Pages, just doing little, you know, design jobs, and he 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 he's really should have been in the comic business. Anyway, we got him to do an incredible story in that, which was like it was basically crossing uh, the Midgard serpent with uh, Moby Dick. Cool. Thor hunting him. So it was, it was a fantastic story. Nice. And it was great because he ended up getting work for Magic Cards, and now he's been in 2000 AD doing you know, the Death World series, which is just brilliant, brilliant. So, so we, the, the anthology was a real adventure for us. We ended up doing that, and that also we ended up publishing a, a bunch of novels including my first novel i didn't make it the first one because that would have felt too much like vanity publishing so yeah yeah I, w- I waited a couple of years until we had a few books out and then uh made sure that i got it under enough noses of of people that i respected um to feel confident in pu- putting it out and we did and we went in the bookshops all over the country and it was a it was a great experience but yeah so that was we did it because i couldn't get any work but it ended up being um, it ended up just being a, an amazing learning experience that changed my life because eventually that led to Made Fire, which led to us moving to America, which ultimately led to me returning to to DC and and, and getting on some of these uh, you know the titles I've been on for the last four years. So well, well, quite, quite, quite a journey. Desperation breeds innovation, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, even even in these current times, it's made me acutely aware of my mortality. We were talking about it earlier on, and I've yeah. got a lot, lot of stories that I really want to tell. Um, so I've started working on a very personal 
epic book <laughs> that I'm uh, just because I need to do it. There's no no times like the right time, so I, it it's it's sort of focused me a little bit more even than I have been. Can uh, can can you drop the title on it or not yet? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Fair it, enough. It's it's uh it's very early days, and I'm still trying to figure out where this where where I'm taking it. But I think I think uh, we should. Yeah, I th- <laughs> fingers <laughs> fingers crossed. It's uh, I would like it to stay at DC. So uh, fingers crossed that that's where it will be. Well, uh, they've been so amazing to work with. Well, I do want you to promise when it is ready to come out, you come back and you talk to us about that book as well. Absolutely. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, oh, oh, go ahead. The other thing was, uh, before we forget, too, you were saying about what has elevated comics. I think there's a bunch of things, because uh, I've been really lucky. I had a I had a, a, a 10-week show in, in a museum in England, in, in Derby Museum, my hometown, uh, which was fantastic. But it, there was also, um, at the same time, Frank Quitely had one in Glasgow. And and uh, John Higgins had one in Liverpool, and they had some of the best uh, turnouts of, for those museums of football, you know, than, than any of the shows they've had that year. So people are going, and maybe that is because of film. And I think it's a, it's a whole bunch of things. It's like film is one aspect. Seeing exhibits of comic art in museums and being treated respectfully is another thing, you know. And just generally, culturally, San Diego has become such a big thing. doesn't matter where you are in the world. People know about that show. The New York one's the same. Comic cons are are becoming a thing. And I think it's just become much more of a part of everyone's sort of cultural landscape. Whether they read them or not, they're, they're aware of them. Now, is Mom Tour Publishing still active? It's it's on it it's sleeping it's dozing. Dozing. I, um, <laughs> I I, we we often there's barely a year goes by when when we when we don't sort of think it'd be nice to to bring it back again. People, we we had someone who wanted to buy the name quite recently. It's like nope, we <laughs> we it, we're keeping it. I I'd like to do something else with it. I just don't know what yet because it does it does take a lot of time publishing. Is a is a as you know it's a it's a big yeah. It's a big old process. Is, is there any chance you're going to turn back to it once that you finish the Green Lantern? Well, we, like I say, sometimes I think we should resurrect it and give it another shot, and, and this time do everything through that. But again, when things are going well and you like the people you're working with, you, you don't want to change. You don't want to force change unnecessarily. Um, and DC have been, you know really really good to me over the last few years they've they've treated me extremely well and and looked after me and kept me very busy and as long as that's the case then you know i'm I'm happy to keep working with them now i i I actually had a whole bunch of questions about testament but the people who i who i do um for a country with asked me to ask you a specific question so i'm definitely going to ask you Uh uh-huh they said there's a story that you tell about working with Frank Frazetta on Death Dealer, and they wanted you to share the story. Well, <laughs> it's funny. It, it, I mean, I, of course, I did Death Dealer with Danzig way back in the day. I'm not sure precisely what story that was. You know, there have been times in the, the past where it, 
I'm, I'm probably guessing it's the one where, because I was going to talk to him and it never happened. Okay. Because he had sadly had the stroke. I'm sorry to hear that. So I never got to talk to him and I sent him some art and, and I, I was thrilled to be doing that book. But um, when when his icon book came out, he I saw my name in there. So I was looking through it. I, I'm a huge Rosetta fan. Yeah. Um, so I was... I went out and I bought the book and I was looking through it and then it got to the death dealer bit and then I saw my name and basically he was really disparaging <laughs> my work you know it was, it was heartbreaking and, and it's it basically like ah uh, you know we're saying that we're not real artists and I was just not like him you know yeah and it was one of those things where he it, it just broke my heart. I wrote a huge letter. I never sent it in the end. Uh, just saying, yeah. uh, I was. I, I, I don't know why you said this. I, I thought you approved every page, and I thought you appreciated it. Anyway, the the the, the long and short of it is that you know, Frazetta was quite famous for his self-aggrandizing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's one of the few that that really was good at selling himself. Um, and selling his legend, and and he genuinely was a legend. But I'm even loath telling this story because, to me, it feels a little bit like I'm saying something disparaging about a fellow creator. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I I really don't like to do that. At oh, okay. All. It's just it's so so in that sense, it's like I what I took away from that story was like okay, not all of your heroes are going to be necessarily who you would like them to be but but i actually did work again with them way later on his 80th birthday i did a, a tribute piece in uh, sfx cool. magazine um uh, which i've shared quite a lot it was a digital painting and i tried to to do the character justice without sort of aping his style and he was he was very gracious about that so i i think it was mainly I don't know. It's, Dan uh, Joe Josco said he'd talked to to Rosetta about my work, and Rosetta was very nice about it. So I think perhaps that the the person who did the copy had uh, pushed it a little bit that way, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Now, now as now as an artist, when someone, especially who's well known like Frazetta, says something disparaging about your work, how do you mentally get yourself? back on the wagon again and keep and continue to do your work was there or was that ever even a question when you you received some you know the the comments oh no it knocked me for six it really did because yeah I, I thought i thought i was doing him justice um but you know I, really as well it was more about the content because i th i think those books were way more violent and dark than he would have done them you know verotic yeah had a, a reputation for doing very dark, very violent stuff. And I, I, I actually found some of the, the stories quite uncomfortable to draw, in, especially with the, the violence that that's, yeah, you know, yeah. I, they're, they're, they're not, they're not, yeah, they're, they're more extreme than I would naturally do myself. So I kind of had empathy for his view towards that. Yeah. Um, I think his his version of, the, of that character is more in line with Jim Silk's version, which is a much more sort of romanticized version of it, you know, from Jim's novels. 
Yeah, I, I mean, from from an, uh, a standpoint of someone who's um, trying to break more into the industry, and I'm sure there's a lot of people like me and probably like you at that moment that have been rejected by publishers. You know, sending we sent scripts, stories, and obviously we get our rejection letters. We all have our rejection letters, and I do think the important thing is trying to figure out how do those who do overcome it or get past that, what is the thought process in doing it. Uh, and, and, and I guess to understand how long was that process did it take for you to go, you know what, you know, screw that. I'm just going to do my own thing. You know, I'm just going to keep going. I think ultimately sometimes, sometimes you can, you can, um, it's a, it's a really, there's so many angles to this question. Cause it's, it's, it's a really good question oh, for, a start, for a start as a creator, every, every decent artist I know, has is is riddled with self-doubt and that's part of what drives them anyway so in order to continue to get better you have to see what's wrong but you also have to innately know that there's something there worth pursuing so you have to you have this weird uh, duality of, of 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 having sort of believing in yourself and knowing that you have people behind you uh enough to keep going but also yeah. knowing that almost everything you do you personally hate <laughs> you look at and you know you see all the weaknesses so no page is ever fully done it's never right it's never as good as you want it to be and you could keep rubbing it out and drawing it again and scrapping it and drawing it again and i've heard people saying you know i, I start things and i i never finish a thing because it's never as good as i want it to be and i'm always disappointed so that's normal. That's just how it is. The, the only thing that gets you to the end of every issue is your deadline. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to. You get to a point of being a professional where it's like years and years and years of like, if I don't finish this page today, I'm going to miss my deadline, and then I, I'm out of this industry anyway. You know, my reputation yeah. will precede me, and uh, people will just stop giving me work. So you have to you have to have that in mind. That drives you to finish the pages. You look at it. You're not happy. But in the process of doing it, you learn. So you're constantly getting better at getting the pages done, getting better at delivering, getting better at the storytelling. Part, part of the answer is also to stop worrying about the art as much as the storytelling. The storytelling is way more important than the art. Mm. Uh, and there are artists who, who were like Frank Miller can draw in a really realistic style if he wants to he chooses not to because he's about he's all about the storytelling yeah um and that's a conscious decision to put the storytelling ahead of everything else and 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 that's why he's so amazing i've learned increasingly over the years that that is the case don't not to not worry so much about the uh how good the, the art is, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I don't know if this is, might be the right word to use, but I feel like there's almost a masochistic nature to art of any kind of writing art, um, penciling where there's a certain, when you do it, there's that struggle and you know, you're going to struggle. I mean, and as a writer, I know there's, I'm working on an issue of a, a 32 of a comic book right now. And there's a couple of pages that I know don't work. I, at least I don't feel like they were. I don't feel confident about it. And there's right. that struggle, but at the same time, there's also that enjoyment of knowing once you get past it, it's going to feel even better. So there's like this weird masochistic where you feel, you know, there's that like a, the pain of of the struggle, yeah. but there's enjoyment of knowing you're going to, when it gets, when you finally do it right, it's going to feel good. 
Yeah, I mean, the, when when you weirdly too, you'll get in the flow. So you can have whole periods where I might have an issue where eighteen of the twenty-two pages just flew out, and it was a joy. And that happens rarely, but like when that happens, you kind of feel like it's going to go on, and for some reason, it doesn't. You get on the next issue, and it's like really, really hard work, and every page looks terrible to you. Yeah. The weird thing is, though, often as not the issues that I've really struggled with other people have looked at and and sometimes it's their favorite issue. And, and, and I sometimes look back at the page at the issues that, are, I, that were really hard to do. And that I thought were subpar and not very good. And then I look at them and I realize that actually all the years of, of, of craft and graft uh, have been honed to the point that actually it's better than I remembered. And sometimes it's better than the stuff that I've really spent lots of time in and I was satisfied with, you know, was yeah. happy doing. So it is, it is strange. It, it's, I think it's hard for us. You can get too close to your own work, so it's hard to be subjective about it. It's hard to see what's good and what's bad. You just have to hope that overall the, the effort and the passion is, is palpable enough that it somehow transfers to the, the readers. No, I, I totally agree with you 100% on that. Jeff is such a super fan. Jeff is a super fan of everything. Yeah. <laughs> His questions are always, I feel like they're always, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Very specific yeah. in what he wants to find out. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. And, and, and Liam's a cool guy, man. Liam's a good guy in this interview. And, uh, you know, if you listen to our Dan Abbott interview from a, a couple weeks ago, you'll know that Liam and Dan worked on Death's Head 2 from Marvel UK or Marvel way back in the day. And uh, it's kind of, I always love it when we have some kind of a connection between our guests because it's like, yeah. oh, we talked to you and we talked, because I'm a completionist. So I'm like, now let's talk to the whole creative team. You know, I don't know. Just... <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk to everybody. Yeah. So, yeah, I love he, it. he was cool. Liam's cool. And Liam's an amazing, if you don't know his work, just Google search his name. He's an amazing artist. There's, it's, the level of detail he puts in, into his Green Lantern stuff is, is is inspiring to, and also like makes you as an artist go, well, I'll never be that good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all. To be fair, that's all he does. Right. I mean, he's a you pro. Know, yeah. Well, if that's all you did, you would you could get up there if you if you didn't do anything else, and you I worked know. on it eight, nine, ten hours a day, then right. you too could probably get to a level of Liam Sharp. But you you don't. Well, I, I think I could get a lot better. I don't think I'd ever. I, I honestly don't think I'd ever be able to get to his level because this you guy. Don't, is, you don't feel like you have the talent to get to that point. I don't feel like I have the, the talent. The raw talent, I mean. No, I don't think I have his. I mean, I think I have talent in art, and I think that I am a good artist, and I think that if I did more, I would be way better than I am. Yeah. I don't think I have this guy's level because uh, this guy is a master of art. And I think that's true yeah. with anything creative. You know what I mean? I mean. I don't know. It's hard. Like I play guitar. I've been playing guitar since I was 15 years old, 16 years old. Yeah. I'm 45. I've been playing it for a long time. I sound like shit compared to anybody <laughs> that that has any ounce of talent because I have to work hard on it. You know, but I you have, have fun, to really right? try. That's all I really care about. Do you have fun? Do you enjoy what you're doing? And at the end of the day, that's all that actually matters. It is, you know, but. You know, it is frustrating sometimes when you see somebody who has just pure raw talent doing the things that you love, and you and you look at it and you go, "I'll never be that good." I could do twelve hours a day for ten years straight, yeah, and I will never reach that level. Well, it comes it comes down to the conversation I've had with other people. Is like, is there is there a thing such as talent 
or is it all just hard work? And I think that both of them go together. I think there is 100% a raw talent that happens, but yeah, you can still get really good with hard work and not have that raw talent and get to a spot where you're a professional. But the people who have the hard work and the raw talent, it's just like... Yeah, it's a whole what? different level. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of crazy. It's it's all about brain chemistry and how you think of things and how your body and your brain kind of work together. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's just a different level. And but that's but the thing is is everybody has something. You just have to find what that talent is. I I honestly 100% believe that every single person on this planet has something that is unique and special to them. They oh, might agreed. share that uniqueness and specialty with other people that have the same type of uniqueness, but I believe that everybody that sits back and thinks that they're not worth anything, get that shit out of your mind. You are totally worth everything. Oh, yeah. And there is something special and something unique just to you. And you know, maybe you can't draw like a Liam Sharp or a Todd McFarlane, but I bet you there's 10 other things that you do way better than they can ever think of doing. Oh, I 100% agree with everything you just said. Yeah. I, I, wholeheartedly. Yeah. And Jeff had a lot of fun during this interview. You can tell he was pretty giddy about getting to talk with him. <laughs> um, he talked about it for a couple of days leading up to it. You know, it's, you know what's funny? And I'll say, I said this before, like, you know me, I, there's only certain... Not I want to certain people, but there's only certain times where I'm like, yeah, I want to be on an interview with somebody, right? Because right, I like I like listening in. I don't really care too much about talking on interviews. And I've said that before. And it's not that I don't want to talk to people. It's just that I I'm more interested in having conversations rather than asking questions or whatever. Yeah. But every single time we have an interview or we talk and it's not us on the show, I'm always like, man, I wish we were on that. <laughs> <laughs> every time. Yeah, it's because. You, you know, you, 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 you listen to what they're talking about and you're like, oh, God dang it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I want to. I have so many so so opinions right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess moving forward, we're going to be on every interview no matter what. Sorry, Jeff. Sorry, Casey. You're out. Right. Like that could ever actually Yeah, happen. just kidding. We have too much to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, there thanks, you guys Jeff, go. for doing that. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Thanks, Kevin. Or- I almost said thanks, Kevin Kiner, because we have a list of people in front of us. <laughs> and I'm looking at the list going, no. no he Thank you, Liam, me. for yeah. coming on. We really, really, really appreciate it. We do. We do. And uh, if you ever want to come back on and talk to, talk to us on non-ass uh, early morning hours, we love that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. If you want to go back and listen to more interviews with other artists, then head over to spoilerverse.com because we have some amazing interviews with some amazing artists. We're talking like the Ben Temple Smiths, the, I don't know, Eric Larson's of the world. Right. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. And I think you'll find somebody that you'll really, really enjoy listening to. I, I, I agree. And, and you should definitely go back and check out the Dan Abnett interview because it connects this one with the, the Death's Head 2 reference there. And, It'll be a lot, it's a lot of fun. That's actually one that uh, I did, which is kind of funny that we talked about me not wanting to do interviews a minute ago, and now I'm trying to tell you to go listen to one that I did. So whatever, <laughs> but check them all out. Go to Splitverse.com, and you, you won't you won't be sad if you do because it's one. It's a not to toot my own horn, but it's a pretty cool website, and uh, it's a lot of information up there, a lot of interviews, a lot of podcasts. There's like 13 shows up there you can go check out all for free, nothing behind a paywall. 
there are some ads there. So if you're like, oh, well, there's ads. Yes, there's, there's some ads on the site because we got to pay a bill we somehow. Gotta do something. Yeah, <laughs> gotta do something. But you don't have to. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to click the ads. You don't have to pay us any money. But if you do want to pay us money, which we'd appreciate, you can click on that store link in the top, and it takes you right to our T Public store, where you can get a T-shirt, a hoodie, you can get a you can get a onesie for your baby. You can get. A, a mug you can get a giant tapestry you can get posters you can get a notebook i mean there's so much stuff you, can, you know you get a mask so if you go outside for covid you have a cool split country logo on your mask that'd be awesome go do that go pick something up from there if you do send us a picture of it on twitter spoil the underscore country and we'd love to see it that's that's some great advice right there go check that stuff <laughs> out hey on top of that if you love what you heard and you want to support us beyond money Bring out your smartphone. Check out the podcatcher that you love. Do a search for Spore of the Country and hit subscribe. It really, really does help. And then on top of that, why don't you get a chance? Well, when you get a chance, go to iTunes or Google Play or wherever online that you like to listen to <clears throat> podcasts or us specifically and give us a review. It tremendously helps and share it out. It, it really, really does. It's, I, I can't beg enough. <laughs> right. All right, Johnny, that's a show. That's a show. That's a show. <laughs> All right. In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read. So we've been talking for a bit, so we, I'm going to wrap things up. I do definitely appreciate you talking to me. You were phenomenal. But I do want, the, the, if you can do the outro for us, I would really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no worries. Um, it's spoiler country. Spoiler country, of course. Yeah, that's me. My train of thought is, is all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. So, uh, and you just want me to say you're, you're listening to spoiler country? Uh, yeah, this is you know uh, this is Liam Neeson, uh, Liam, uh, Liam, Liam Sharp. Sorry, I said Liam yeah. Neeson. Sorry, this is Liam Sharp, and you're listening to. Uh, <laughs> Mind being mistaken for Liam Neeson. <laughs> so, this is Liam Sharp, and you are listening to Spoiler Country. Thank you so much, sir. You really were absolutely phenomenal. Um, only reason I'm cutting it short, I actually in about five minutes have an interview. Um, I'm talking to someone about uh, Sandman. This interview about uh, a graphic novel of uh, Sandman. No so I, I do have to take it. But you are so phenomenal, and I would want you to back to come back on because I have so many questions about the t about Testament. And I got more okay. questions. I actually had to drop, unfortunately, on Green Lantern. I wanted to talk about. I really would like you to come back at some point, uh, especially when comic books are still shipping again. One one last thing: Is there anything for for your fans? Are there any conventions you definitely are still scheduled for? And also, what can the fans do to help support you? I don't know what's happening with conventions this year. I don't know about San Diego or... I mean, the, the ones that I was going to, I think, have been cancelled. So at the moment, I can't really say for that. But as soon as I can, you can find me on Twitter, and that's where those uh, that's where that information will be, or, or, or on Facebook. And I have my own website too, which I want to get a little bit better organized to let people know, but that's, that's sharpie.net. 
And, um, and what can fans do? They can, well, uh, honestly, I appreciate all the fans that I have, especially it's great interacting with people on Twitter. People are very decent on there. Uh, amazingly, uh, we managed to keep a good page run <laughs> of, 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 of well-behaved, kindly people. No, just buy the books is the best thing. Seriously, I can't ask for more than for people to support the comic titles, preferably in print. But either way, you know, buy the trades, buy the books, buy the comics. And, you know, we, we're very grateful for all the people that do and the support of the industry in general. So that's, uh, that's, what I would, that's what I would ask. Well, hopefully people do check you out and hopefully you do get to go to some conventions and they get to meet you. And hopefully I get to uh, meet you finally and get the autographs. But thank you so much, Mr. Sharp. All right, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks a you're, lot. And you're we'll, wonderful. We'll do it again. Oh, Indeed. Thank you, mate. Yeah. Bye. All the best. Take care. Bye. You as well. <laughs>